Hey everyone, it's Scott, and this is episode 257 of the Juice Box Podcast. Today's show is sponsored by Dexcom, Dancing for Diabetes, and Omnipod. You can go to dancingfordiabetes.com, dexcom.com forward slash juicebox, and myomnipod.com forward slash juicebox. You can also go to the links in your show notes or juiceboxpodcast.com to find out more. Please remember that nothing you hear on the Juicebox Podcast should be considered a device, medical or otherwise. Always consult a physician before becoming bold with insulin or making any changes to your healthcare plan. And guess who's on the show today? My name is Kate Hall. I am a professional track and field athlete specializing in long jump and the 100 meter. I was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes when I was 10 years old. I am 22 years old now and I live in Maine. Kate just jumped through the first 15 minutes of the show. Now I have to think of new things to talk about. That's fine. <laughs> It'll give us more time to, to kind of dig into some of the questions I have about all this. How would you like a t-shirt that says stop the arrows, bold with insulin, and some of the other things that we talk about here on the podcast? Well, if you do, you're in luck. If that's something you want, Scott has it for you. Juiceboxpodcast.com. Scroll down to merch. Now, remember, I've already heard what you're about to listen to. Not only have I, you know, lived it, but then I had to edit it. But then I edited it. Edited it. Edited it. Then I made edits to it. Anyway... You're really going to enjoy this with Kate. And when it's over, if you love her as much as I did, find her on Instagram or one of her social media accounts and give her a follow. Let's start off like you're not a person who flings yourself through the air. <laughs> Let's just start off like you're a person I'm talking to who has diabetes. Okay. You diagnosed when you were 10 in Maine. So mm -hmm. the story starts out, you were lost somewhere in the frozen tundra, wondering why you live in Maine. Uh, a polar bear tried to eat you, and then your pancreas stopped working. How did it go exactly? <laughs> pretty, pretty close. <laughs> See, I knew it. Uh, <laughs> because how many different stories can there be in Maine? Kate? Right. Right. Go ahead. Right. Sorry. Exactly. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, yeah. So I was ten years old. I was a very active kid. I was a very outgoing kid. Pretty positive. Um, and then one day, I was just suddenly really emotional. And I was around my friends when I was really emotional and they never really seen that side of me because I was always just so outgoing and positive and wanted to have fun. And they were like, what is going on? Like something's clearly wrong. Um, and then my parents started to notice changes too. Like I was eating all the time. I was um, drinking lots of water. I was going to the bathroom a lot. Um, again, I was really emotional. I didn't want to get out of bed. What do you mean about emotional? Like sad, um, angry, um, easy to set off? Pretty much easy to set off. Um, I mean, being a 10-year-old kid, when I was just at home, like with my family, like I was a pretty determined child to get in fights all the time with them. But when I was in public with other people, friends and an extended family, I was like extremely calm and just a very positive kid. But um, so, I remember, so you lost your social, your social graces at some point, right? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. Cause you're describing, yeah. you're describing a person who knows how to behave in public. And, <laughs> right. 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 <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I was at like my cousin's birthday party. They were having cake or some sort of treat and I wasn't able to have it that day for some reason. I don't remember why. And I like totally like freaked out and I was crying and like my cousin had never actually like seen me cry because I didn't like to cry in front of other people. Mm -hmm. um, so that's like when they knew something was like really wrong. Um, and then I also like didn't want to get out of bed. Um, I didn't want to go anywhere, which wasn't like me because I'm the type of person that likes to be really busy all the time and doing things and going places. And I just wanted to stay home. I was losing weight. They knew there was a huge issue. So they brought me to the doctor and he pretty much just said, oh, you're having a growth spurt because you're eating more and drinking more water and said, go home, come back in a couple of weeks if you're not feeling better. And that didn't really make sense 
to me because yeah, I was eating more, but I was also losing weight and feeling horrible. Um, so my parents obviously weren't satisfied with that. So they did some research on their own. They went to Google and you know, that that's usually the thing you don't want to do because they'll come up with a whole bunch of stuff that you, you have the internet in Maine. That's amazing. How far (laughs) into the woods did you have to go to the log cabin where you met the doctor? Was it a a couple day walk or I'm just kidding. I know nothing. I know nothing about Maine. Well, that's like, that's like what people think Maine as is like (laughs) log cabin woods, middle nowhere, but I live in like Southern Maine, so mm-hmm. it's not like that at all. There's actually a lot to do, and it's really close to Portland. But Northern Maine, it's it's a lot like that. So there's no truth that you started long jumping to eventually try to jump out of Maine. That's not what happened. No, no. Wouldn't you like to be able to say to yourself at this moment in the podcast every week when I say go to dancingfordiabetes.com? That's dancing the number four diabetes.com. Wouldn't you like to be able to tell yourself, I've done that, Scott, and I do it all the time. Like, feel like you're part of the gang, you know what I mean? Like, hey, that's me. I go to DancingForDiabetes.com. Don't you want to feel like that? Of course you do. Well, go ahead. It's simple to do. Dancing, the number four, Diabetes.com. Okay, so he sends you home um, where you're going to die if somebody else doesn't figure something out, right? Right, exactly. So who persisted? Who pushed more was it you complaining or your your parents um it was definitely my parents I mean being 10 years old like I knew something was wrong but I figured oh the doctor knows and if he says like nothing's wrong then okay but my parents knew there was more to it so they looked at my symptoms online and saw that they were similar to someone who was um type 1 diabetes Mm -hmm. so and they it just like fit exactly and they're like oh wow like we really think this is it. So they ended up going to um, like a pharmacy on their own and got like ketone test strips. Oh, good for them. Yeah. And so they tested my urine and it was full of ketones, obviously. And pee. What? What an exciting day for you. I said and pee. Oh, I know. Yeah. yeah. Oh, we're just like, hey, yeah. we're going to pee on a test strip. Great. This is really going well. Right. <laughs> so, yeah, I was like, what is going on? <laughs> you had to. I mean, can you imagine? Really think back on it for a second. Ten years old, your parents just roll into your room out of nowhere, and they're like, we need you to pee on this. You're like, oh, my God, what's happening? The doctor said, yeah. fine. You people don't know what you're talking about. Um, right. Well, Did you feel bad enough at that point that – do you remember how badly you felt at that point? Um, yeah, I remember just feeling really out of it mm-hmm. and not myself. And, like, I was definitely getting worse every single day. And luckily, like, my aunt worked at our local hospital, and she knew the endocrinologist really well. And, like, yeah, have her come in today. And it was, like, a Sunday morning. Luckily, like, I I went in, and they said, wow, like, if you had waited any longer, it could have been much worse, much worse situation. Um, But, yeah, they checked my blood sugar, and I think it was, like, 500 and that's when they said, yeah, you have, you have type 1 diabetes. Pretty much how it went. <laughs> I'm glad everyone figured it out. Yes. 12 years ago is, hold on, I can do this, 2006? Uh, it was 2007 when I was diagnosed. You were probably wrong about it. Unless I got the math yeah, wrong. No, but... no, trust me, <laughs> you trust me, I got the math wrong. At that point, do you get, I mean, that's 12 years ago, you get a meter, mm-hmm. uh, just a meter and like a pen yeah. maybe or needles? Yeah, so I started just with like a syringe, and then I think once I left the hospital, they sent me up with the pen, mm-hmm. and then I was on that for I don't know maybe six months, and then I went on the Medtronic pump first. Gotcha. Um, so that was the first pump I was on. So you pumped for mo- you've been pumping most of the time you've had diabetes. Yeah, yeah, yeah pretty much as soon as they said okay, that's when I started. So that's sort of a interesting age, right? Like. Because it's young enough that I think you need help, you know, to mm-hmm. have your diabetes. But it's also old enough that some parents might be like, hey, you could probably handle this. Do you, rem- yeah. do you remember which camp your family fell into and how you guys took care of it? Yes, I, yes, I definitely remember. So when I was in the hospital, the nurse was about to give me my first shot. I'm like, no, give me the needle. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give myself my first shot. Wow. Like I wasn't scared at all. And then after that, I pretty much wanted to do everything on my own. I didn't 
I wasn't like, oh, you can't see my blood sugars. You can't know anything about what's going on. It was just me wanting to take control of the disease. And for them, I think they thought that was a good thing. So they didn't bug me every second, but they came alongside me and helped me out. And I think it was actually a really good balance because they knew that it was going to be important for me to control it at a young age. And, and I wanted to. So um, what did that mean then control it? Like, were you just it was about counting carbs and doing the math? Yeah, I wanted to do everything. I wanted to check my blood sugars on my own. I wanted to count my own carbs. I wanted to figure out much insulin I needed to give. Um, yeah, I wanted to pretty much do everything. Yeah, that's cool. And how, I don't want to say successful, but how well did that go for you? Were you like, did you, I mean, how did you measure? Was it blood sugar checks? Was it A1C? Were you aware of A1C back then? Yeah, yeah. I was I was aware of it. I know when I was in the hospital, it was really high. And then I remember actually um, three months later, or I, actually it was a month later, I got it checked and it was... Um, a lot better. I remember being really happy about that. And I remember looking forward to like the doctor's visits to see like if I could get it even lower. So I remember being excited. At that age, were you competing in like, were you participating in sports at school or anything like that? Yeah. So at 10, I was doing soccer, basketball, and I had just started track that summer. I was diagnosed in October mm-hmm. and I had started track back in I think like May okay. um, so this was my first I'm sorry I didn't mean to cut you off no that's okay yeah that was my uh, first year doing track but I think at that point soccer was my favorite and I also remember when I was diagnosed it was during soccer season and it was like right before our team's um, championship game mm-hmm. and the doctor was like all right like you were just diagnosed you need to get a handle of this um, I don't want you to play for a couple weeks until you get this all figured out and that was like the worst thing in the world for me. I had to like sit on the sidelines and watch my team lose the championship game. And I'm like, wow, that's kind of when it set in. Like before that, I wasn't really afraid of having diabetes and um, any of that or giving myself eight shots a day or pricking my fingers. I didn't care about that. I just didn't want it to stop me from doing what I love most, which was sports. So right. at that point, when I was sitting on the sidelines, I was like, okay. This is awful. I, never again. I'm not letting this stop me from doing anything again. As soon as I could get back out there, I was out there playing soccer, playing all the sports, and just extremely motivated. So cool because you know you could have had an opposite reaction, right? You could have, yeah. You could have been like really like a weight on you, just though. So, look, mm-hmm. there's something I can't do. This doctor says I can't do it, and so now I sit here, and you know, then who knows? Of all the sports you named that you played. Do you really, like, looking back on it now, if I told you you had to go back and only do one thing, would it be track? Or if you could be, like, if you could be as good at soccer as you are as track, would you choose, like, do you know what I mean? Like, Yeah. I'm wondering because, because of my follow-up question, but I don't want to ask it until I know your answer. When I asked Kate that question, I did not know the answer. But I'm going to ask you some questions right now I think I do know the answer to. How would you like to own something that didn't require you to poke a hole in your finger to find out what your blood sugar is? How would you like to be able to set customizable alerts and alarms that tell you when your blood sugar has left a range that you've decided? Arden's range is between 70 and 120, but yours could be anywhere. And then the Dexcom G6 would let you know when you were leaving that range. It would even tell you how quickly you're rising or falling. How would you like to know that? How would you like to be able to see a loved one's blood sugar when they're not with you? So I could ask you a lot of questions that I think I know the answer to. How would you like this? Or how would you like that? Wouldn't you like to be safer, calmer, more secure? Know what your blood sugar is, where it's going, how fast it's moving there. These are all questions that, you know, let's be honest. I know the answer to before I ask you. So instead of asking those questions, let's ask the most important question. Why have you not gone to Dexcom.com forward slash juice box to get started today with the Dexcom G6? You've heard me say this before and I'll say it again. These results are ours and yours may vary, but my daughter's A1C has been between 5.2 and 6.2 for over five years and she has absolutely no diet restrictions. This morning, Arden had a bagel and when her blood sugar tried to go over 120, 
the Dexcom G6 told us, and we stopped it. Dexcom.com forward slash juicebox. Check it out. I think you'll be happy that you did. I would still choose track. I always really liked track from the start because it was such an individual sport and it's extremely measurable. And I also didn't like the idea of um, like a team sport. I didn't want to let down my team. If I did bad, I didn't want like the team to lose. I hated that so much. So I liked track just because I could go out there. I had my own personal goals in mind. I could go and try to set personal records at each competition. So looking back, I would definitely still choose track. And I definitely thought you would say that because yeah. everything you're saying leading up to this is an indicator of your desire to measure yourself against yourself. Right? Yeah, and, yeah. And, and that it, even in a, in a race, like you just said, you could beat your own time and not win mm-hmm. the race and it'd still be a major yeah. thing for you, right? Yeah, exactly. I watched, um, I wouldn't have known about it, but my son plays baseball uh, in college now. And he can leave a game where a team gets blown out. And if he's kind of reached the goals he set for himself in that game, mm-hmm. he's okay with it. And right. it's interesting because it's right. a very individual idea in a team sport. And he's mm-hmm. team-oriented too, don't get me wrong. But I can see that happening. Um, I just, it's very, because track is, it is such a, I don't, it's an isolated thing. Like it is, it's just you. I mean, there's a lot going on around you, but but the measurements are about you. It's really, it's kind of simplistic yeah. and, and kind of beautiful and at the same time very specific. So um, everything you talk yeah. about, like I want the needle, I was going to do this myself. I was like, yeah, she didn't care about those other sports. Those were just things that no. play. <laughs> right. After I started track, I was like, I love this so much. This is my sport. And then I never wanted to stop after that. I was so excited. It's amazing. I'll get back to the diabetes part, but I'm interested in, you know, if you start running track around that age, obviously you're just competing locally, like at school and stuff like that. At what what point along that process does it become obvious that you're, I don't want to, I don't know how to say this, that you're better at it than the other kids? Mm -hmm. The the question. When I started, when I was 10, I was um, like one of the fastest on the team. So there was like one other girl that was pretty fast too but it was like the two of us that were really fast mm-hmm. um but I think once I was in middle school that's when I started to get a lot better where I would go to races and just beat everyone there and then in high school that's when I really took off like I started setting state records um I I think I was like undefeated in the state for a long jump in the 100 all four years and then Later in high school, I started to become even better where I was more well-known on like a, the New England scale and the national scale. So it's definitely a gradual progression, but I think people started noticing me like in middle school when I started to st- set state records and beat everyone. It's similar to the idea of pitching, right? Like that it's a thing that people can see from a distance and still judge it well. And, yeah. And, you know, it's hard to, like, it's hard to show somebody that you're a, a, a quality, you know, I don't know, interior lineman on a football team. Like, you might be really right. great at it, but how do you, how do you stand out while you're doing something like that? You know, no mm-hmm. one, no one sacked the quarterback today. I did a great job. Yeah. Or did, they, or did <laughs> they just not get to the quarterback? It's hard to judge. But right. With right. you, it's time or it's distance or, mm-hmm. you know, with a pitcher, it's, it's velocity or how many hits they give up it's easy to see yeah exactly very very interesting how far did you travel in that time i know the new england area like is it did it kind of follow like sort of that nescac thing with the schools or were you in vermont and or how far did you go to to compete when i was younger probably yeah when i was in middle school i mainly stayed in the new england area i think the furthest i went was new york because I had to go to New York to qualify for like the, it was called like the junior Olympics. Um, it was like a summer program for kids who did track and then you could qualify for the nationals. Um, and then I actually went to Kansas for the nationals when I was in middle school. And then what'd you say? I was just going to say, was that incredibly exciting to like travel that far? It was, it was so exciting. I remember it was like the only thing I was looking forward to for months. And I went with a friend, um, and she was doing the high jump and I was doing the long jump and the 100 and we're so excited to go to Kansas. It's like, who's (laughs) ever excited to go to Kansas? But we were so excited. 
And it was so different for us because it was just like so flat there. And we were not used to that living in Maine. Um, and it was amazing. And when we left, like, we're going back to Kansas. Kansas is the best place ever. And it was like 110 degrees there when we were there. It was like they were setting like record temperature. Yeah, it was so exciting. There's a lot going on here. Let me try to understand, like, all this preparation to go run at, a, at, at an event. How many times do you actually run or jump in the course of an event? How long does an event take in days? For the 100, it's it depends on the type of meet. Mm-hmm. Um, for, like, the bigger meets, there'll be, like, a semifinal and then a final, which might be over, like, two days. Or it could be over one day. It really depends. And then for long jump, it's just um, six jumps in one day. And that usually takes like an hour to an hour and a half. So as you're doing that, do the jumps progressively get better or do you get tired and they get lesser? Like where do you expect your better jump at the beginning or at the end? Lately it's been towards the end. Usually I'm getting better as I go, which I'm not really sure why. Um, I think I'm just becoming more consistent and getting into a rhythm so it's actually a good thing that it's my best jumps are towards the end. Plus, you're probably as strong now as you've ever been in your life. And yeah. 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 And so you, it's a little more. I watched my son. He's hitting before he's going back to school this week, and he keeps going to his guy more frequently than he usually does. And mm-hmm. he had an amazing round on Wednesday, and uh, then the next day he tried to go back and like hit again. And I'm talking about swinging about like 200 times in a half an hour. Oh wow! And the second time he was like, I, "That didn't go as well as I did yesterday." And I was like, "No, well." It, it stands to reason you've got to be exhausted, right? Because it's yeah, exactly tiring, right? So, okay. Now, I don't, I can't, not just because I'm old and fat, Kate, but I can't wrap my <laughs> head around the concept here. So, I've seen you do it on video. You are propelling yourself a great distance through the air and then slamming down in a pit of sand. So I have many questions around this. A, does sand get in weird places? That's my first question. <laughs> yes, always. Okay. All right. I hate the feeling of sand. I hate the beach even. So I was like, even if I could jump that far, would I do this or no? You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. All right. So you got to go. All right. I see that. Uh, my next question is, what does it feel like to land? Because it looks vicious. Yeah. One of my biggest, um, I guess, issues when I started track was my long jump landings because I would never land the right way. Mm-hmm. So when you actually land the right way, it doesn't look too bad. Like it looks like it doesn't hurt. It looks pretty smooth. But for years and years and years, I would not land the right way. And it looked so bad. It looks like it hurt. And um, usually it doesn't. But I know that if I'm landing correctly, then I'm not going to get hurt and I'm going to actually jump further. So, <laughs> But yeah, they can be pretty brutal sometimes. Oh my God, it looks absolutely horrifying. How, how do you practice the idea of the landing? Because your body's in such a unnatural position as you as you come back to the ground. Do you know what I mean? Like, so I don't yeah. imagine it's something you can practice unless you actually run and jump, right? It's not like something you can do in a shorter space or something like that. Um. You can sometimes, like for me, I'll do some short approach jumps, but you can also do like broad jumps because pretty much the concept of the landing is you want to keep your feet in the air up as long as you can. And then as soon as your feet hit, you're going to pretty much kick them up and you're going to like fall back and then your butt's going to fall into where your heels were. So you can practice that just by doing like um, broad jumps. Gotcha. But then when you're actually doing it full speed, it's not quite as easy. So pretty much like doing it, standing broad jumps, like the first step, and then you gradually move back from there and then it gets easier. But it took me many, many years to finally get it. Have you ever hurt yourself doing it? Yes, I've hurt myself landing just because sometimes if you don't take off at the right angle, like if you're leaning too far back, you're over rotating. So you're almost like falling forward in the air. And like, I've hurt my ankle before. Um, yeah, it can be pretty dangerous if you're not taking off the right way. Is there enough time for you to like, and I'll bleep this out later, but is there enough time for you to cognitively think, oh, shit, as you're like pitching forward or does it just happen? I know pretty much as soon as I'm in the air, if I messed up or not. So I can feel myself falling forward. And I'm like, 
this isn't going to be a good landing. So, <laughs> I, yeah, I do have some time to think. <laughs> yeah, gotcha. It's great. So, I mean, I'm, we're sort of burying the lead here a little bit, but how far can you jump? Okay, I've not rehearsed this. This ad is two minutes long. I'm going to see if I can think of one thing about the Omnipod that I love for every foot Kate can jump. Oh, boy, this isn't going to be easy. Um, I shouldn't have put this kind of pressure on myself. Okay, uh, it's uh, the only tubeless insulin pump in the world. That's one. It's small. Two. Discreet. Two. Uh, I can't even count. That's three. I'm very nervous. Uh, there's a brand new Dash PDM. Four. Changing the Omnipod takes no time at all. It's amazing how quickly you can change it. That's five. I'm buckling under the pressure here. Um, oh, apps. There's now apps for iOS uh, for like display and view. That's I'm going to call that six and seven. You can exercise with Omnipod. Eight. It's never going to get caught on your door handle, right? The tubing will never, ever get caught. Is that, I'm going to count that as nine, even though I feel like that's what I said the first time. All right, let me calm down. How about they have a free, no obligation demo? I'm going to call free demo and no obligation demo, two different things. So I'm up to like 11 now. You know what that means is that you can actually get Omnipod to send you a demo right to your house. You do that by going to myomnipod.com forward slash juicebox. How about this about Omnipod? They support the Juicebox podcast. That's another one. They have a whole community of people called Potters. That's another one. Um, uh, I can do this. I can do this. Hold on. Oh. Oh, here's one. Uh, if you use the Omnipod, you get Gluco for free. Omnipod's creating the Horizon system. It's going to be a closed-loop system that'll work with your G6. That's like uh, 12 and 13. Oh, geez, I'm running out of time. Uh, uh, they have a turtle as a mascot. His name is Toby. He's Toby the turtle. Go get your free demo pod at myomnipod.com forward slash juicebox. Do you think I got anywhere near how many feet Kate can jump? I think I was up to like... I don't know, 14 things about Omnipod? Let's find out. My furthest jump is 22 feet 5 inches. That was back in 2015. Um, but this season now has been my most consistent season I've ever had. I've jumped um, over 22 feet several times. Um, so that's what's the very... I was going to say, what's the measurement for that? Like, what, What's the furthest anyone's ever done this? I think the world record is like 24 feet, uh, like high 24 feet for women. That's really amazing. Do men go much yeah. farther or is it similar? Yeah, they go like 27 feet, 28 feet, which is insane. It's insane to watch it. <laughs> They're like pretty much jumping out of the pit. Is it possible that the momentum of their testicles going forward pulls them forward? Farther? <laughs> is that possible? I don't know. I don't know, Kate. Possibly. I'm just saying, I, you know, I haven't thought about that at all. I'm just, once they're up there and things are flying around, you could think that could help. I think it's an unfair advantage. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> well, you never know. Who helps you train? So in high school, I had, it wasn't like my high school coach. It was more of like a personal trainer. Um, so he owns a gym in Portland. So I would go see him pretty much every day. Okay. And I, once I started going to him, I improved so much. Like every single year I was getting better. I wasn't injured. I was always feeling good. Um, and that's actually when I set the national high school record was when he was my coach. Um, and then I went to college and went through all that and then decided, well, I want to go back to my high school trainer because I was at my best when I was with him. I felt my best. I was the most consistent. So that's pretty much the reason why I decided to go back to Maine. Had you sought him out or did someone come find you? I pulled my hamstring in eighth grade at the state meet. So I was going to physical therapy for weeks. And then on my very last day of physical therapy, I was referred to him and he seemed like extremely knowledgeable and he knew like everything about the human body. And we're like, wow, like you seem really smart and we don't really know what we're doing. So do you do like any training? And he's like, oh yeah, like I would love to train you. So it was almost like a blessing in disguise that I was injured um, because I wouldn't have found him. And now he's like made a huge difference in my career. I completely understand. My son quit a team when he was 15 because they took on too many outfielders and they started having to divide the playing time up too much. And it led him to another place where he met the guy who took his hitting to another level. 
And at that, when he had to leave that team at the time, it felt like a real tragedy for him, you know? Uh, But to your point, if he doesn't meet Nick, then I don't, I don't even know if he's in college playing baseball right now. And Cole's a spectacular outfielder, but you know, you you have to be able to hit at the same level you're playing defense. So it was just dumb luck. So that's really kind of interesting that that happened to you. Um, Yeah. And is he still with you now in some way? Yeah. Oh yeah. So like he's my coach now. No so, kidding. wow, it's worked out for him. Yeah, a lot of athletes decide to stay with like their college coaches after they graduate. Um, but I didn't feel like that was the best decision for me. Right. So I wanted to go back to Maine and train with a coach that I was comfortable with. So you're 22. Are you are you in college now? Or are you a senior? I should have graduated in May, mm-hmm. but I left college a year early because I wanted to go back to Maine and train with this coach. Gotcha. Um, so I'm finishing my degree online now, so I should graduate in the spring. That's the goal, but where did you go to school? Where, what college did you go to? And did they, did they recruit you actively or did you? So I went to Iowa state first and then I was there for one year and then transferred to the university of Georgia and I was there for two years Gotcha. and then went home to Maine. And you went home. I mean, I'm guessing, but you went home because you saw that, it was completely viable for you to try to get to the Olympics. Is that right? Yes. That's why I decided to that's really cool. go back to Maine was because, yeah, my goal is the Olympics. So I didn't want to stay in the NCAA system any longer mm-hmm. because the NCAA season is so separate from the professional season that I wouldn't have been able to get that experience and exposure before the Olympic year. Gotcha. So I wanted to do what's best for me and pursue my goals and go and train with a coach that I knew would be best for me. And yeah. I could have some time in the, in the pro scene before the Olympic year. Listen, so listen, you don't have to apologize to me. I, my son's an athlete. I know how this works. There's, there's yeah. moments when it's, yes, we're a team. And there's moments when it's, I have another level I think I can get to. And right. Exactly. You know, playing, these games are great, but I, I don't, you know, us winning this game doesn't help me get to this thing. And I have to, right. I have to go my own way. And that's completely reasonable. <laughs> and, and for you, you have measurables. You can tell yourself, look, I can actually do this. Like, it's not mm-hmm. like, it's not as much of, not that it, hoping doesn't get involved in excitement, but you're still like, look, I, I know where I'll, I'll, I'll shake out in this. So if, you know, if exactly. things go my way. So, so it sort of take me into that space a little bit because I don't understand it at all. Like, and this will sound crazy when I first tell you, I don't know when the Olympics are, but keep in mind, I also didn't know Monday was <laughs> Labor Day. So don't take that person. Right. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Seriously, someone's like Monday's Labor Day. I'm like, get out of here. It is not, but it was. <laughs> so when when do, I'm so sorry. When do the um when do the Olympics happen? Next year in Tokyo, 2020. Yes. And the trials will be in in June before the Olympics. So those are some of the Olympic the Summer Olympics. When do the trials happen? It should be the end of June and they take the top three who have the Olympic standard to go. And that's amazing. So it's not like, it's not like they identify you in January or February at some indoor mm-hmm. event, and then you get to train to go to the Olympics six months later. It's, it's one seamless, like time-wise process. It's you come to the tryout. You're the one get on a plane, go to Tokyo. Like, is it it's sort yep. of like that? No kidding pretty much like that so it's like you have to be ready for that day nothing can be off your mark can't be off right just everything has to be right so it just comes down to that one moment so you could be like the most consistent jumper who's like ranked like top in the world but then you go there and have a bad day and then you can't go and then someone else goes who's technically like not as good as you so and then the olympic committee has no autonomy to look and go hey listen Billy's way better than Jimmy. Like, like, can't we? (laughs) We're gonna take Billy. It doesn't work that way, right? Like, it's just you get those jumps at that thing, and that's it. So you're you're playing for that one time, right? Do you think that's amazing? Um, I'm sorry. It's is it? Do you feel like a superhero? I guess is my question. (laughs) At all? Sometimes I guess. Like, I definitely feel like a normal person. Like people say, "Oh, you're famous." It's like not really. Like I'm just. Some kid know. from Maine, like, I don't know. I don't really feel that way. But then when I'm, like, in a big crowd in front of, like, 20,000 people competing, then it feels pretty cool. I, 
I Googled Kate Hall the other day, and you're the first three pages of returns, Kate. So Oh, cool. Yeah. That's awesome. <laughs> and I told you when we were setting this up privately, but I'll be recording next, you know, in a few months with another person named Kate Hall. Oh, and, cool. And she is like the head writer of General Hospital. And, oh, wow. And her daughter has type 1 diabetes. So, wow. Um, that Kate Hall is naming a character in General Hospital after my daughter and Jenny Smith, who comes on the podcast. Um, oh, wow. So I'm just saying that at, when you're up on the podium, if you just like roll my name out, like even just lip sync it back at me or something like that. <laughs> okay. It'd be super cool. All right. There, you know, can you imagine after all of this work, if you got up there and somehow this conversation got in your head and you're like, I want to thank Scott. That would be so funny. <laughs> your parents are like, wait, who is Scott? And yeah. what is happening? <laughs> yeah. So anyway, I'm just putting this, I'm trying to trick you into saying it when it's. Okay. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> this strength to run fast and jump really far. Uh, is it because as a child you pulled uh, raw salmon and trout out of a river and ate them uh, with your teeth? Is that why? <laughs> Um, no, no, but actually as a child, for some reason, like I always like walked on my tiptoes. I don't know if that has anything to do with it, but I just loved jumping as a kid. Like I, every time I jumped, I mean, any, anytime I walked under like a doorway, I would just jump up and hit the doorpost hmm. and every single time. So I was at a young age, probably doing like 200 jumps a day just because I liked how it felt to jump. And I remember like going to friend's house and they would have like a sandbox and I tried to like jump over the sandbox. And I was like the only one who could do it. So I think at a young age, I was already like training my body how to become like very like elastic and powerful. So you're lucky your parents didn't see that as a psychological disorder and stop you. So. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I don't think they cared. They, they knew I was like pretty athletic. So like, yeah, just do whatever you want. <laughs> it just had kind of this energy, right? It's, it's, it's yeah. So for, you know, it is really interesting that when the baseball season stops, Cole walks around this house like he's like he's just got this energy he doesn't know what to do with. He's right. swinging his arms and his hands and mimicking throwing a baseball. Like, and I don't even know that he knows he's doing it. Sometimes, you, you know, like it's just very like he he belongs playing baseball. It seems, yeah, like, right, yeah. And so you have that feeling about this now. You do the. You said you do the one hundred too. Is that something you'll focus on for the Olympics, or will you narrow cast to the to the long jump? So as of right now, it's mostly the long jump, but I'm still doing the one hundred because I know I can become faster and lower my time. So maybe in the future that'll be more of a focus. But I know like right now, long jump is my main focus, and then one hundred is just something else. I do, and I know I can get better at and for down the road. I imagine training for the 100 is also good for your training for for long jumping. Or for <laughs> yeah, it is. So, like, for indoors, the indoor season, they actually have the 60-meter instead of the 100. Mm -hmm. And I like the 60-meter so much better because it's very close to the distance that I run for long jump. It's about 40 meters is my approach for long jump. I see. So it's only about 20 meters difference. So it's a lot easier to train for the 60 than it is the 100. So when I do the 100 outdoors, like the hardest part of that race for me is like the last 40 meters because I don't train that far as much because my focus is long jump. When you were back in high school, I imagine you were, you know, very athletic and, and good at this. Did you do other things? Like did you take that stick and try to jump over the other stick or um, like – the heavy thing and throw it like that. I don't know a lot about track and field, but um, like, do you, like, did you, what, what's the thing? Pole vault. Like, did you, pole vault. Yeah, did you, I'm so sorry, the stick. And no, it's okay. do you see it now though? You take the stick and jump over the other stick. Yeah. yeah you, it's a, a, a rather rudimentary discussion, but I, I like, I imagine you might've been the go-to to try for a lot of stuff. Like, did that happen? Yeah, I pretty much tried everything. Like when I first started, when I was 10, I tried, high jump, I did triple jump, I did the 200, 400. I didn't really do any of the throwing events because I was like a very tiny child um, and not like super, super muscular. So definitely didn't, didn't do the throwing events, but I tried pretty much like all the jumping events. And I actually stuck with high jump and triple jump for a little bit and did triple jump a little bit in high school. Okay. But I knew after like a couple of years of doing track, it was going to be long jump in the short sprints. You know, it's funny you brought up your size because it struck me 
I watched you jump a couple of times in video. And in video, when you are, again, the only person in the frame and doing this kind mm-hmm. of feeling like a superhuman thing, you look like you're six feet tall. Yep. Like, but you're five four. Is that, yes. is that, see, that's amazing because when I Googled you and you popped up and your height popped up, I was like, that's not right. Because yeah. The girl in that video is a monster and you're not. Yeah. That's yeah. So everyone says that like someone will see me out in public and they'll recognize me from like being in the news or the newspaper or videos or whatever. And they'll be like, wow, you are so small. You're so tiny. And someone actually said one time, which is such like a main thing to say, but like on the runway, you look like a moose. <laughs> like what? <laughs> okay. Well, that's just because you were speaking to someone in Maine. That's the only animal. That yeah. Of. That's not, right. Don't worry about that. Well, <laughs> you know, I mean, interestingly enough, like Tom Cruise is 5'7". So yeah. you put him on film and you stand somebody shorter than him next to him and he looks tall. Exactly. Know? And so you're by yourself and you're flying through the air. And it is – I'm listen, Kate, I, I'm imagining you know, but what you're doing is beyond most of our comprehension. Like most of us aren't <laughs> like, yo, you know what? I could probably work hard at that and maybe jump eight feet. I couldn't. Yeah. Yeah, right? I, I probably couldn't. I don't know. I probably couldn't jump four feet. Like if I like really put my heart into it, maybe I could fall forward four feet. But and I've seen my son do that. Um, I guess it's a, the equivalent of a standing long jumper. He, he plants his feet and just sees how far he can propel himself mm-hmm. without taking a step. And yeah. I've seen him do that. You know, seven or eight, like in that seven eight foot range. That's amazing. You, mm-hmm. you, you know what I mean? So twenty two feet is insane. That the record is. <laughs> it's just really. So I, I guess it's, I don't know, like it's, it's one of those things where I think about when I think about diabetes and talking to athletes about diabetes, because I, there's a real value, you know, speaking about the community for people, mm-hmm. for kids to know what you're doing with this, because this is intense working out. It's traveling. It's, you know, going to two different colleges, all this with diabetes. I think people knowing your story is great, especially you know, parents who can take their kids and point and go, look, look what this girl's doing, you know? Mm-hmm. And at the same time, I sometimes get worried that people look at athletes and think, well, yeah, sure, they can do it, but they're like, they're not real people. They're, you know, but you're a real person. You, you know, yeah. Yeah, it's just hard. To, it's hard to, it's sometimes hard to see someone can do something like that and not think that they must have something you don't have. Yeah. But, but you, you know, and, and so I, I like it when people, can hear that. So I, I, I want to talk a little bit about how you manage your diabetes, because I know recently I saw, did Chris Freeman write an article about you? Yeah, yeah, he did. And, um, diabetes forecast. So I've met Chris a number of times. He's been on the podcast a bunch of times. I love the way Chris talks about diabetes. Um, yeah. it's very sort of, it, it comes from a perspective of a person who would look at two flat pieces of something and think I could stand on them and travel across snow. You, you, you know, like, yeah. because see, when you call it skiing, it seems doable. But when you think about what it really is, there's these two tiny flat pieces of wood or whatever it's made out of at this point. He straps his foot to it and then looks a great distance in a cold weather situation and says, I could mm-hmm. probably get over there. That's nuts. You're looking right. 22 feet down a sand pit going, I could probably jump from here to there. That's nuts. Yeah. But there's something about that idea that translates to what I kind of think of as sort of like the essence of, of like diabetes management. Like that idea of like sort of like throwing away the excess, not getting mired down in drama, not feeling beatable, like all that, mm-hmm. stuff, all that stuff. So now I've, I've set you way up. I could, like, you're going to be like, Scott, my A1C is 10 and I'm not good at my diabetes at all. <laughs> but, but I want to know how you manage, um, day to day, like first on your own, like on a regular day, Kate gets up, she's going to class, you know, before you left school, it, it's just like everybody else. And how do you do that? You know, for me, like, it's a lot easier for me to manage when, like, I know what certain foods do to my blood sugar. Like, I always struggled with breakfast growing up, and my blood sugar would always spike so high after breakfast, and then it would take forever to come back down. Um, And then I took a look at what I was eating, and I was eating, like, granola or cereal, and then I would have, like, fruit and then maybe, like, some sausages. But 
there was like a lot of carbs and that's why it would spike so high. So now I'm eating eggs and like turkey bacon um, and some fruit. So it's like I'm eliminating a lot of the carbs and eating better foods. Um, And then I stopped having the issues of blood sugar spikes. So for me, I think it's a lot easier for me to manage when I kind of explore different foods and what they do to my blood sugars. And now I almost have like a routine routine of what I'm eating. So I'm pretty much eating like the same, like 15, 20 meals throughout the week, because first of all, like I like the meals. And then second of all, I know that it's not going to do crazy things to my blood sugar too. Yeah. Kate, when you're younger, it's probably harder to think about it this way, but I've been alive for a really long time. You just eat the same stuff over and over again. Like it just, yeah. you know, yeah. Nobody, nobody gets up tomorrow and goes, you know, I'm going to try capers today. It just right, exactly. sort of doesn't work out that way. So, so having knowledge of how to sort of dominate the food with your insulin is the key. And, you know, we talk about how to use insulin on the podcast a lot. And I, I couldn't, I couldn't possibly agree with you more. Like just having a little bit of pre-planning goes a long way. And, yeah. and I tell people all the time, like, I know you don't want to pre-plan a meal, but wouldn't it be great to put 15 minutes worth of effort into this instead of four hours worth of effort chasing your high blood sugar around, letting it exactly day, like this whole sort of thing. Um, so how do you, I mean, you're using an Omnipod now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And do you use a Dexcom? I do. Okay. How long have you been using a CGM? Um, probably about four or five years. Wow. Probably five five years mm-hmm. now. So you've had the you had the G four at one point. I did, yeah. Okay, right. At first, I didn't like the idea of wearing like two devices, um, and I also didn't like calibrating it all the time either. <laughs> so I would take breaks from the Dexcom all the time. So I would wear it for a couple of weeks and then not wear it for like two weeks or a month and then put it back on. Um, but then recently this past year, I got the G6 and now I'm like, all right, I'm wearing this all the time and not going to take breaks. So I think that's definitely made a difference too. Yeah, it's Well, yeah, now you don't need to calibrate it anymore. And it's generations along that technology just keeps getting better and better. I know. It's insane. Do you think you'll use Horizon when Omnipod? Yes. It? Oh, yes. I do Definitely. Think. I'm so excited. Yeah, we, we are too. What are your goals? But we just put an episode up last week about exercise and talking about how some people sort of misunderstand their insulin and then jam their blood sugar high so that when they drop, when they exercise, they don't go too low. But but there's a way to set your insulin up so that you don't actually, that low ho- doesn't come, hopefully. And, mm-hmm. you, and you don't have to, you know, be adding food. You know, it's the worst thing, right? You're trying to exercise for health and now you're eating food to, to right. bring your blood sugar up. It's so counterproductive. How do you manage leading up to a race or leading up to a day? It's actually interesting because when I practice, my blood sugar goes low. And then when I compete, it tends to go high. So, and I'm practicing way more than I'm competing. So I was trying to figure out what to do in those situations. So what I've learned that really helps me for when I'm practicing is, well, usually go and practice anywhere from like um, 10 to noon. So I'll have breakfast and then go and practice probably a couple hours later. But I would have so many issues with my blood sugars dropping during practice and I didn't know what to do. So I talked to my doctor and he's like, all right, try to set a temp basal an hour and a half before you practice and decrease your basal by 40 to 50%. And then keep that temp basal on throughout your whole workout. So once I started doing that, it made a huge difference because what would happen is I would go practice. I'd feel my blood sugar is going low, like during my warm up, and then I'd have glucose tabs, and I would bring it up, and then would come back down close to the end of the workout. So it's like I can't go low like twice during my workout. Yeah, you're so trying, you're shooting for a moment, like you described earlier. You're shooting for a moment of perfection, and yeah. so you you uh, listen. I you would love the episode that I. So I sometimes Jenny Smith comes on the show. She's a CDE, and we talk through things like that, and we just talk through for an hour. Right. That kind of thing. That's it, awesome. It would be amazing for you because she talked about 
how to set those basal rates and, you know, even mm-hmm. longer than you think. It's just, it's, she's brilliant and she has type one and she does distance running, uh, and stuff like that. It's really, really amazing. But that's cool. So you are figuring it, you're figuring out now I, may I, and you may have figured it out already, but you know, my guess for why you're low during practice, but not during a meet. Uh, adrenaline. Adrenaline. That's exactly yeah. right. Yeah. You're a competitive person, Kate. Yes. Yeah. You're out there and you're all like Kate and you're pretty and you're going to go do your thing. But inside, <laughs> you want to kill all of those people. And you, <laughs> you want them to, you want them to not jump as far as you're going to jump. You want them to lose. In a private way, you want to see them walk away crying when it's over as you hold your hands up in the air high. And every, <laughs> do you feel any of that inside or have I just projected that on you? Um... I guess, but not probably not quite as arrogant. <laughs> I, I'm a very like I'm definitely a huge competitor. Like I want to go and I want to win. Um, I get really nervous, so that definitely brings my blood sugar up. But what's, I guess, um, really hard about that is it doesn't go up until like the competition starts or like halfway through the competition. So I'll be warming up. My blood sugar will be like 140 everything's good and then it's like I don't want to give insulin knowing my blood sugar is going to go high and then it ends up going low and then I can't compete so then I'm I'm always like hesitant about that so I just like keep it and then every time I keep it it just spikes right up so it's like oh try to figure out what works the best for competition you just said something that I it, it's making me think I just heard someone say something the other day like this and I'm racking my brain thinking of who it was so I can give them credit, but I am not going to come up with it. <laughs> but they said, um, that there's no real like physiological difference between being nervous and excited. Mm-hmm. And so that people who feel anxiety or nervousness, if you just tell yourself, I'm not nervous, I'm excited. That actually helps. Mm. And, and I I thought, that's insane, right? When they said, I was like, that probably is Wow. Then you said you're nervous. And then while you were talking, I Googled, am I nervous or excited? And there's an entire, like, like science behind this idea. So that's, that's interesting. Crazy. Yeah, maybe you can just tell yourself, I'm not nervous. I'm excited. <laughs> and, yeah, that's, that's a good idea. Should, yeah, I should actually try that. Just talk yourself into it. So again, if any of this works, when you're up on the podium, you just go, Scott, like that. Like, I'll see it in your lips. <laughs> Um, no, I'm kidding. I will have nothing to do with your success in the Olympics. I'm 100% <laughs> certain of that. Listen to my voice. Close your eyes, unless you're driving. Breathe deeply. Concentrate on the words that you hear in your ears. Dancing for diabetes dot the next time you're at a browser and you hear the clacking of keys you'll have an uncontrollable urge to go to dancingfordiabetes.com when I snap my fingers you can wake up what are your goals like your blood sugar goals when you're not working out are you trying to keep your blood sugar do you have a certain like system in place like where do I keep it not like to let it get higher than a certain number or lower yeah, I mean, I'm pretty much just trying my best to to keep it in a range. But, like, even when, if I, like, take a break from training for a while, mm-hmm. which is probably only, like, a couple weeks a year, like, a month a year, um, it's definitely, like, I'm having a lot more high blood sugars during that period because I'm not exercising. So it's just, like, that's a whole other thing I have to worry about, too. So Yeah, yeah your, your insulin needs probably go way up because you're getting you're getting free... You're, you're just basically getting, you know, free, not insulin, but you're getting free lower blood sugars from all the exercise you're doing. And do you have, right? Um, when you work out very hard during the day, do you see lows later at night or have you figured out how to keep that from happening? Sometimes I see lows later at night, but it really depends on like the type of workout I'm doing. Mm-hmm. So like with lifting, not so much, but with my running workouts, sometimes I'll see some lows yeah. later at night. I think that's, that makes a hundred percent sense. Yeah, definitely. Okay, Kate. Do you do any regular people stuff? Or is it like, or like, what do you do when you're not like this? Like in my mind, you're just constantly working towards this goal. Is that the truth? Or do you have downtime? I am like constantly working towards this goal. But I also do like 
fun stuff too. So I definitely am like a very outdoorsy person. So I like paddle boarding, which I discovered two years ago for the first time. So I love just exploring like different lakes or different rivers in paddle boarding. Um, I really like hiking and that's pretty much pretty much it. I like traveling a lot too. So that's very cool. Where have you been? Have you been anywhere like amazing? Pretty much any place I've traveled, it's for track. <laughs> so like I've been to Europe. My first time in Europe was back in February. I went to France and then I went to Europe again in June and competed. But luckily, since I was in Europe for so long that I did have a little bit of time to like explore and sightsee. So kind of combining travel with training and in my career so but it works out (laughs) constantly hoping someone will invite me to speak in europe so that i can see places like that oh that'd be awesome that's very cool can people well i get before i get to that this going to the olympics thing doesn't sound cheap so (laughs) how does when do you begin to plan for that like when do you start looking for people to be like look i need benefactors here if i'm gonna go do this thing is that is that a completely um i would imagine it's a a much more deep process than people watching the olympics would imagine yeah i mean it's obviously very pricey and the other thing is like i'm not even going to find out if i'm going until like the month before so it's not like i can plan and get like the cheapest flights and all of that because I can't really book anything until I know I'm going. Um, so it's really just like finding sponsors and, you know, hoping for a shoe contract. So, and all of that would, would help with that, but it's, yeah, it's definitely an in-depth process. Gotcha. Um, and so is there, like, are you just trying to build your like I'm trying to find out how can people listening help you? Like, would it help to build your social media profile even more? Like would they, could you, should they go follow you on Instagram? Like what, what gives you, what makes you look like the person I should put the shoes on when the time comes? Yeah. I mean, that definitely plays like a huge part in it. It's just the more, the bigger following you have, um, the more people, uh, the more people notice you. Mm-hmm. So like I'm, you know, sponsored by like Omnipod. So I go out and like, give speeches for them, and I love it, and it's so much fun because I'm also doing something I love. Yeah. But yeah, that's a huge part of it. It's just growing, following, so I can tell more people about what I love and my life and and who I am. That was going to be my question. Like even this working out right now, like you don't like you're not working at Foot Locker on the weekends, right? So um, it's not great. Right? You don't have like, a, <laughs> a part time job. Like you're working out constantly, so you need you need jobs. So Omnipod sponsors you is, are your parents helping out still? At first I helped out with like my training expenses, mm-hmm. but now it's, it's Thank kind you. of on me, which I don't expect them to help me. Like oh, no, I want to be able to do this on my own. So, yeah. um, yeah, now it's pretty much just me like paying for all my training and living and school expenses. That's spectacular. That's really great. Good for you. I, uh, I don't, I remember it myself when I was 22 and I, I don't think that even if I could have flung myself that far through the air that I would have been as together as you are about the rest of them. <laughs> are you like this in the rest of your life or are you just like a total mess otherwise? Like I'm, I'm looking for some ding in the armor here. Kate, is there, are you, you're, you're looking pretty perfect at the moment is what I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm pretty like, I don't know. I, I like to have a plan. I like to be organized. I'm a very de- determined person. So good for you. I, I want <laughs> seriously, I wish you a, just a ton of success. I thank you. I'm so excited to root for you and and, uh, Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. I, I'm sure everyone listening will as well. I know how much I loved. I will share this with you, right? So my daughter's not uh, my daughter's not a big um, like she, you, you won't find her running around yelling. I have diabetes all the time, right? Like she, right. she doesn't hide it in any way. She doesn't care if you see her Omnipod or Dexcom. Mm-hmm. She'll talk to you about it. The other day, right. she met Tom Holland, and she was trying to tell him something that would make her memorable while thousands of people were going by her. And as as the security people were pushing her out of the place where she was getting her picture <laughs> taken, she's like, she's like, I- I'll see you with the other thing. Uh, remember me? I, I have I'm a diabetic. Like, like she's like <laughs> yelling things, trying to like not like I have diabetes. Feel bad for me. She thought like, what can I yell that'll make this guy remember me the next time? And meanwhile, right. yeah, so many people there. He didn't care. My point is, she doesn't hide, but she's also not real out in front with it. Y- yeah, you know what I mean. But but the last time Chris skied in the Olympics, 
she was younger and she mm-hmm. stood in front of the television watching cross country skiing that I don't think she cared about one little bit. Right. And right. she, I remember her saying, Hey, he's got the same insulin pump as me. And Aww. she just looked like she got taller when she said that, you know, Aww, like that's that, adorable. That feeling of like, Hey, there's that person out there. So I think mm-hmm. you have a real opportunity to, you know, for other people to have those little moments around, you know, watching you and rooting for you. So it's, mm-hmm. it's really exciting. And, uh, Thank I'm, you. I'm glad uh, for you, and I'm grateful that you're um, that you're also not hiding your type one, and that you're that you're talking about it too. It's a big deal. Yeah, I think other people um, who look at type one diabetics say think they're superheroes because they have to manage this disease like twenty four seven. Like you can't even take a break from managing it. But then you're also like going out and living a normal life. So a lot of people are scared to open up about it, but it's like they, other people think you're a superhero for being able to do this. Yeah. So no, it, 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 it is a, a huge task taking care of diabetes. And mm-hmm. this podcast is uh, about making it easier for people. Yeah. I very much, it's all, it's always been my goal is just to anything that I've come across that I've learned that I know helps. I want to share it with other people so that they, yeah. they don't have to have those struggles. If you know, when they're not necessary. Um, yeah, definitely. Well, Kate, I really appreciate you doing this. I'm assuming you have to go jump over something now, so I'm going to let you go. Uh, <laughs> what, what does the rest of your day look like? Um, actually, it's it's pretty pretty easy. I'm actually going to like a town hall meeting later to like meet some some people who want to meet me. But um, that should be pretty fun. And then just playing with my dog. Really, I have a Dalmatian. So what's the dog's name? <laughs> Moose. Again, you know like three animals because you grew up in Maine. It was going to be moose, caribou, or, or probably salmon. I mean, there were really no other choices, were there? What was your le- – have you had more than one dog in your life? Um, I did growing up. I had a dog when I was younger, and then my family got a dog I think like three three years ago. But this is like my first like own dog. What were those other dogs' names? The first one was Lady, and then the one that they have now still is Morgan. Wow, that's specific. Yep. <laughs> Do you think after Morgan Freeman or no? Um, so we got it from like a, another family. It was already like a year old, and that's what her name already was. So Do you think they we were didn't change it. Disappointed when the, they're like, oh, we're going to get this dog. It's going to be great. It's already got a name, though. And they're like, it's Morgan. Like, really? All right, I guess. Yeah, <laughs> they, were, they were thinking about giving it a different name, but it's like, well, it's like a year old. I already know his name. So I have to be honest here. We have two dogs, Indy and Basil. And yep. if, if you yell Indy or Basil, they both look. I don't think they... I bet. Yeah, I think you could just start calling that Morgan dog anything you wanted right now. Right, it's just the tone. <laughs> three days from now, they'd be like, oh, that's me, I'm Fred. It'd be super easy. It'd be great if your parents named changed it from Morgan to Fred. You'd be like, why'd you bother <laughs> doing that even? Oh, hey, so did funny. did you hate this or did you like it? How'd it go? No, it was it was great. Um, I'm glad. I, I, I did not mean to characterize you earlier as a murderous, running, vindictive person who wanted to. Uh... That's so funny. She's answering the question as whether or not she had a good time. <laughs> I'm not sure what happened. It's so funny that I'm like, did you hate this? And then you're like, hang up. <laughs> I'm out of here. Uh, no, I like no. it, Scott. Goodbye. <laughs> I just wanted to <laughs> no, say, was... I, I didn't mean to paint you earlier as a murderous, vindictive, running person who <laughs> wanted everyone else's death. I just meant, are you really competitive? And I started painting weird pictures with my sarcasm, and I realize now you grew up in Maine and probably have never heard a sarcastic word in your entire life. <laughs> oh, by the way, I want to say, I, 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 can't, I would love to visit Maine sometime because... I hear, it's nice. I just hear how beautiful it is. I, my jokes come from when my son was um, was recruiting for baseball. I'll let you go in a second. But he got recruited by a really good school in Maine. And mm-hmm. So it was hard not to want to go to that school. And at the same time, he would like look at me privately and go, I, I don't want to go to Maine and freeze my ass off. And I was like, yeah, I hear you. <laughs> Yeah, right. And he goes, and how are we gonna I don't play, blame how are we gonna play baseball in Maine? I was like, I don't know, with snowshoes on, maybe? You know, and then they started talking about don't worry, our dugouts are heated. And then Cole's like, they're they're saying that like it's a good thing, but why would you have to heat a dugout? You, you know, I like, know. Like, and, all that. and so he took a call with the coach 
because he's like, it's such a like I'm gonna get such a great education here if I go here. So I'm I'm he was really seriously thinking about it. Yeah. And um and the coach is like gets on, and he's like, you know, trying to sell him and everything. And he hangs up the phone and I said, What'd you think? He goes, Really nice guy, super school. I'd be amazing to get a degree from there. He goes, but I got to tell you, he's like, part of the sales pitch was we're going on a hunting trip together. And he's like, I don't want to shoot something to play baseball. So I'm out. And I was like, <laughs> it's like, okay. That's hilarious. <laughs> I don't think you try to sell hunting to a kid from like, you know, the New York, Philadelphia area. No, like, I don't no, know. that's so funny. Kate shared a couple of great photos with me that you can see at juiceboxpodcast.com. But to see more, but to see even more and to support Kate, I think you should find her on Instagram. She is Kate Hall 2043. Stop by, check out what she's doing, throw her a follow, tell her you heard her on the podcast, interact, be social on that social media. Thank you so much to Dexcom, Omnipod, and Dancing for Diabetes for sponsoring the Juicebox podcast. If you're looking for a fantastic insulin pump that happens to be tubeless, if you want to know what direction your blood sugar is moving and how fast it's going, or if you just want to be delighted inside, check out the sponsors of the podcast. Okay, a little bit of housekeeping stuff, and then I'm going to tell you a quick story. The giveaway. Let's talk about that for a second. Been running a giveaway all month in August to celebrate the one millionth download of the podcast, which happened a few weeks ago. There's about two days left to enter the giveaway. There's 2,480 entries so far. You don't have to do anything to enter. Just go and click on it. Go to juiceboxpodcast.com, scroll down, click on the giveaway banner. And that goes right till the end of August, right? I think that's what I ended up saying. I'm very, uh, you know, a little loosey-goosey on this thing, but it doesn't matter. It's not like you're listening to this in real time. Get over there. And if the giveaway is still going on, enter it. Great stuff to give away. Omnipod, Dexcom, Dancing for Diabetes, Swag, a free Myabetic bag, anything from their website at myabetic.com, which is insane. Some stay put medical stuff, a free 30 minute consultation with Jenny Smith from diabetes pro tips, a week of me, whatever that means. You'll see when you get there Two bold with insulin shirts of your choice and anything else I can come up with before the end of the giveaway. I said, but I've pretty much come up with everything. So it's not too late to enter. I want to thank you for some of the really wonderful notes that I've received over the last few days. I love it when you guys reach out. I seriously, sincerely mean that. You're having a struggle or a success and you want to share it with me, please always feel free. I really do quite enjoy hearing from everybody. All right, last thing, a story. So during the podcast, I mentioned that I heard somewhere that um, there might not be any difference between being excited and being nervous. I couldn't for the life of me remember where I heard it. And then later in the podcast, I talked about Arden meeting Tom Holland. And as I was editing it, I thought, that's where I heard it. We took Arden to a comic convention so she could meet, you know, Spider-Man, Tom Holland. And during his Q&A, he was talking about how nervous he gets during some things and how someone gave him the advice to just tell himself, you're not really nervous, you're excited. Because the feelings are physiologically so similar. So anyway, the credit goes to Tom Holland, your friendly neighborhood Spider-Man. You want to see a picture of Arden with Tom? It's somewhere on my social media. She tells me he's a handsome young man. 